So hello and welcome to Flying High with Flutter. I am your host, Alan Wyma. Today I'm with Torsten Lawrence. Uh, now, how I got to know Torsten is that I got a notification about a very great project I think is really interesting. So in a previous episode, we went over uh, how to connect Rust and Flutter together with uh, Shady. And I think this is another big step forward uh, in this process. So I'd like to go ahead and let him introduce himself and to talk about, you know, what he's working on. So Torsten, Torsten why don't you go ahead and kind of introduce yourself so people know who you are. Yeah. Hi. Uh, how are you doing? Um, thank you. I'm Torsten Lawrence. As you mentioned, I um, have built a tool um, to uh, make it really easy to uh, basically write your Flutter apps like you usually would, but then write the app logic in Rust um, and, and integrate the two. Um, I guess we can talk a little bit about my history, how I got here. I've um, not actually done Flutter professionally nor Rust professionally. I'm actually working for Cypress.io where I'm uh, working on uh, testing tools to make uh, testing in the browser and also eventually in Node.js uh, much easier. Um, I have I've previously worked on, on a bunch of other projects, a bunch of other languages. Uh, I've worked in C Sharp, WPF. Um, I have worked a lot with JavaScript, TypeScript, and the web. And um, I don't want to go too long. I want to I want to uh, give you a, a chance to ask also questions. But that's kind of like my 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 background there. Um, yeah, I mean, I would love to hear this because, uh, to be honest, I thought maybe you would have some kind of background, at least in Rust, because Rust is not an easy language, right? So I, I think, so then your your strongest language would be what? Would actually be Node.js, since I think you're working a lot with that? Mm, I would say that, yes, I'm, I'm uh, daily working with JavaScript and TypeScript. Um, I, I'm pretty versed in C as well, C++. Uh, because I'm, I'm uh, a lot of times I'm working on the lower levels. Um, also, uh, you know, trying to improve performance and, and things like that. So um, I would say that I understand things um, to kind of from the top all the way down um, in order to uh, to do what I'm, I'm doing for for my day job. Um, from with regards to Flutter, actually, my very first app that I built with Flutter, I got interested. Okay, let me actually go there. Why? Why I even wanted to do Flutter? Um, I built um, a few years back, like I think four years back. I built uh, my second poker app. I built another one before, um, and I built that in, uh, in in JavaScript for the web. And it's, it was basically a, a, a better poker.net was the name, and it was uh, very interactive. And I built it to where you could use it on mobile and you could use it on uh, in the browser and you could use it on desktop and everything. And I, and I made it work. Um, and it's, it's basically a pro pro progressive web app. <laughs> and um, it um, w with that, it, it works offline and all these things. And it, it works on all devices and, and so on. However, to make that happen was really, really uh, tricky. And there, I definitely learned about the limits. And I've kind of came to the realization that the web is kind of not made uh, for certain apps, especially if they have high interactivity. Um, the, you know, the web was made for documents originally, and then, uh, you know, try to kind of change things to, to make it work for apps. And Flutter, on the other hand, was created with uh, mobile apps first in mind. And um, instead of trying to use a technology that's not made for what you're trying to do, I, I said, okay, let's try Flutter, which is actually made for for what I'm trying to do. So um, at that point, just to you know get some get my feet wet, I built my first app, and I had this idea to build a YouTube downloader, so where you basically can uh, give me a link of a playlist of a video, and uh, you can download it to watch it later. And I submitted that to the Play Store, and I'm probably one of the few developers where the very first app that they submitted uh, was rejected, <laughs> because obviously Google doesn't like, um, you know, an app that allows you to do that. So what I learned also from there is that I probably should have built a minimum prototype first and just tried to submit that because I had like everything perfect in that app. I had like proper state management. I had uh, the downloader plugin was working perfectly. I think even in the background, it kept downloading and all these things I had all worked out. And then uh, I couldn't even uh, really submit it. So <laughs> that was my lesson learned there. But that's how I got into Flutter originally. And um, after that, I wanted to see what, what else I can do with it. Um, and I had the idea to build a game. I always wanted to build, I built games when I was a kid, but not really 
series one. So I wanted to still build the game and also see how far uh, I can take Flutter. And um, and I actually learned that for uh, 2D games, it's actually very uh, works very well. Um, the the camera support is great. The performance is, is great. It works on my, my game that I created, uh, Bad UFO. We probably include a, a link in the show notes. It uh, works on the browser, works on Android, iPhone, on the Mac, everywhere. Um, so that was a really good ex experience. And now we get to where I, I started using Rust uh, is because I wanted to see if I can maybe, um, you know, like how much more can I push performance and maybe also for a 3D game. And and that's uh, how I got to learn about Rust. And I actually had refused to look at Rust for the longest time because I, just because I didn't want to do what everyone else was doing, mainly. Uh, and then I looked at it and just fell in love. Uh, uh, I have done uh, Haskell before, and it seemed like Rust um, took everything from Haskell that I loved about it, uh, but made it somewhat more accessible and actually more practical to actually build real uh, applications with it. Um, not saying that you can't in Haskell, but from my experience, it was a little more tricky. Um, um, also, the the whole idea is about uh, you know not needing a garbage collector, but still having memory safety and performance and all these things just like really drew me in. Uh, the highly functional interface, it's, it's it's like basically it's a rich language, but still performant. It, like yeah, I could go on and on. I, I I really fell in love with the language, and um, actually when I started learning Rust, I immediately thought about how can I maybe connect. <laughs> these these two things like flutter and rust because i also realized that rust uh didn't have and it probably still doesn't uh, a really good ui framework uh and 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 also multi-device support is still tricky um so flutter has that and i'm going to stop here <laughs> so it's so give you more chance to ask us questions but that's how i got into into these uh, both these technologies yeah, it's it's okay. Talk as much as you like, because I'm I'm really interested in 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 your ideas. Because of course we all have different ideas, right? Different perspectives. But I think a lot of what you're saying definitely resonates with me. Uh, you did mention that you said you didn't want to do what other people were doing with Rust. Like, is that like this idea of rewrite everything in Rust? Because that seems to be kind of the joke. Is that oh we have Rust now, so let's rewrite. Like now there's a pseudo rewrite. I think it's called Please or something like that. Like there's a lot of rewrites going on. I don't think I is this what you mean by I don't think I had a rational reason. It was just like, oh, every everyone is jumping here now. Uh, yeah, like it's the fad of the day, um, and I was just I think I was also just interested in other things at, at that time. I just um, and and then when I when I did actually look into it, I was just like, wow, why why didn't I look earlier? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so let's see, site person, everything. Okay, so you actually just kind of. This is really more of a passion project that you started, right? You, you you like Rust, you like Flutter, and you just wanted to combine the two. Is that where the idea came from? Or did somebody come up to you and spark an idea or what happened? Um, so I, th I think you could say that. So basically, um, when, I, when, I did, when I did use Rust, um, I played around with, with the Bevy engine as well, uh, which is a gaming engine that, uh, uh, that an, I think an ex-Microsoft uh, uh, person, uh, I can't remember his name right now, I think Cart, yeah, Cart uh, did that, and it, it, it took off. And I played with that for a while, but but you can't really build an app with it. It's made for building building games. Um, and then I wanted to uh, build apps, uh, and and I looked into things. Uh, I looked at uh, I am GUI, and, and and it's just not that mature. And I also wanted it to work at um, at like at all all devices. So obviously the next thing was to to consider uh, like doing it as a web app, and there are. Uh, and, and Rust, as, we, as you probably know, has Wasm support, uh, so you can basically uh, compile to Wasm. So you can basically kind of create some Rust app that then compiles to Wasm, that then basically runs in the browser like a web app. Um, and I did that. There are uh, there are numerous um, libraries out there. Uh, the one that I used was Seed, um, and 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 it worked. Like I got I got my little workout app that I wanted to build, uh, and it's still online and everything. I use it actually for myself. But but then basically once I started looking at how to build the UI, like I was back to where uh, I was when I ran away from the web, where now I had to use CSS to um, uh, basically to 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 style things. Uh, it, it, I didn't have the all batteries included that Flutter has, where you just have all the all the um, kind of widgets that you need. Um, they're already there. You don't have to, I, I, and I'm not really good at UI design at all. So I like actually have everything ready. And, and, uh, the other thing is I'm also colorblind. So 
if I if I have a ready made theme, I at least know that everything makes sense for people that uh, that are uh, seeing colors better than I am, um, and so on. So. I, I was like, why am I doing this thing? Like, now I got Rust, but now I'm back building apps like almost like the web, and that's not that wasn't the idea. Um, but at the same time, I didn't just want to. Um, I really liked Rust. I wanted to uh, combine it, right? I didn't want to just do Flutter. And uh, it's not that I that I don't like Dart. Dart is actually uh, uh, pretty, really, really useful and really um, uh, productive language, um, especially you know the the whole idea of uh, being able to inject code into the VM uh, and thus enabling hot reload and so on. Um, I still felt, um, though, that it was kind of a C-sharp, but a little less versatile. Uh, I never felt like 100% um, comfortable, but I'm not, uh, you know, when I built this game, I was I was fine. Um, it's, it's probably more like um, I really wanted to work in Rust, let's just put it that way. And the other thing is, uh, it's not only... That reason is also that you get a bunch of security uh, and, and you get a bunch of performance uh, benefits when you uh, work in Rust, right? Like basically when your app compiles, you know uh, you didn't do anything wrong <laughs> almost, right? Uh, you can you can easily write tests and, and, and test the app logic that way. Um, with Flutter, you, you know, it's garbage collected, but you could still have memory leaks. Uh, it's it, They could never, uh, so Dart could never be as fast as, as Rust. It has other advantages but it uh it's just the the nature of the of, of the vm and everything uh but it's it, I, I know that dart is pretty damn fast though <laughs> so but rust you can still get a little more uh threading is probably um, um more natural in rust uh as far as i know in dart the only way to uh put something on a different uh thread is to use isolates which uh, as far as i know are more uh like a heavier uh, than just threads in, in in rust um things like that and and uh so and then I looked into solutions. Uh, I looked at blog posts uh, and, and little sample apps that you could do. And uh, it was pretty complex to, to, to get it integrated. Um, for Dart, it's actually fairly easy because all you have to do is you compile a binary with Rust and you stuff it somewhere and then you tell Dart to load it. Um, with Flutter, it's a little more complex, um, mainly because for iPhones and, and, and OS X and so on, uh, that the only way there to do it is is you have to wrap it all in a plugin. Uh, uh, for Android, actually, you can also just uh, put the file somewhere and and have it loaded. Um, so so I looked into all this and I was like, this is actually what I want, but I don't want it to be that complex, and I don't want to write all the boilerplate, and I don't want to have to worry all the time that I don't make mistakes. Um, so I was like, wow, this is actually an opportunity. Um, what if I could just annotate my Rust code? And then it generates all that for me. And then I have a tool that basically puts things in the right places. Uh, and, and you just like run a few, uh, obviously at this point it's still scripts, um, but you just run like a, a some binary tool that helps you with this and, and you're, you're off and running, right? Um, and the idea there is that how I envision it is that you write your application logic in Rust, all the state lives in Rust, you test, uh, you know, it uh, a lot, Right, and while you're probably iterating your your writing test, you you're iterating your Rust to it by writing tests, and then you build the UI, or maybe you do it the other way around. But the idea is that while you're building the UI, you have the hot reload or Flutter, right? So so now your application logic works, and you can just try things out, and you can move things around, and you can, uh, you know, do whatever you want, and you have this quick quick feedback, which you don't have with Rust, right? Because Rust still has to compile. Um, I know that there are projects for Rust, especially for game engines that are trying to like implement or like invent some dynamic language um, or some whatever language, like a scripting language. Uh, so you don't have to recompile every time you change something in your game, right? But I'm thinking, okay, well, Flutter is already, you know, well-established. It works everywhere. Why not do that instead, right? So that was the, the whole idea behind that. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think also uh, with your business logic, it's usually more straightforward, right? Do this, do that. But yeah, with UI, it's always, okay, oh, this is one pixel off, or this is not quite right. Let me copy and paste that, and let me change this around. So I think that, that also makes sense too. Right. Um, I mean, also, like, if you're writing, if, you, if you're, like, test-driven, and you just write a test, and you just run it all the time, and you, you implement your code in Rust that way, it's actually not that long of a feedback loop either, right? I mean, the compile times have gotten a lot better. Um, but yes, once you once you are moving things around, 
um, you don't want to have to restart every time or whatever. Um, so, so then you're just in Flutter. Um, the, the, the caveat to note there is that um, even if you would recompile your Rust code and you, let's just say you have your app running and you change your Rust on the other end, you cannot just hot reload and, and see those changes. Right? Basically, you have to restart the app because it has to reload that Rust library in. Um, so that that's a that's a thing to to consider. That's why I'm I'm envisioning it, kind of like that, that workflow. Okay, okay, that's yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, you actually found a way to write your Rust code and it will compile to Wasm and Wasm can be loaded from Flutter Web. Is that also true? Or uh, that's that far yet? that's something that I have not implemented yet, uh, but I I don't see why it can't be done. Uh, so. Um, basically, RAID right now is, I would say, in, in its early phase where I definitely would not ever say it's production ready yet. Uh, I would call it uh, early alpha, um, but I kind of proved out for myself that, that what I'm trying to do would work, right? Um, and that, uh, you know, the, the workflow is kind of uh, smooth enough and, and yeah, that pretty, pretty much everything that I need to be able to do, I can do. Uh, and then Wasm support is something that is somewhat on the horizon after I figure out uh, some other things. Uh, but basically, the only difference there is instead of compiling to a binary, um, that's like a library that gets loaded, uh, you compile to Wasm. And then you just have to make sure that the interface uh, to Wasm, uh, there might be some some JavaScript bridge that, that I'd have to generate, right? So, I mean, we can talk a little bit about how how, uh, how RID works in order to make that a little clearer. Um, Unless you want to go and show some show some code or the app, it's up to you how you want it. Yeah, you know what? I think I don't even know if we really properly introduce exactly what we're talking about. So why don't we start from the, the top, right? So RID is the name of the library. I believe it's called Rust. Uh, I forgot what the I is. Rust, Rust is infused or what is it again? Rust integrated. That's right, integrated. Like a a three-letter <laughs> acronym so you could use it for namespacing your macros. And I had to invent something. <laughs> okay. For Rust integrated Dart. Uh, it's actually like a almost I would say like a whole ecosystem, right? It's you have to use this generator to generate everything for you. But what it basically gives you, I think, the at a high level, the the main thing that it does is it will create a plugin that's directly within the app itself, right? Uh, right? It's in a subdirectory, yeah, and probably also some niceties too, where you know you 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 do do the thing which caught me once. I did do Rust with Flutter once, and the thing that took me quite some time to solve, which was the tree shaking of, mm -hmm. of, uh, of Mac OS or iOS should be the same. So if you don't call C code from within the Swift code, you, it will just be gone, right? It'll be tree, it's called tree shaking where the app tries to figure out what you actually don't use and just shreds it. Right. That took me a long time to figure out. I'm glad that you found that. Right. Did you also get bit by that too, where you couldn't figure it out? No, I mean, I knew that because I, I had done some tutorial uh, someone had published and where they basically inserted that code into the Swift class and, and put a comment there where it said that you have to do this to prevent deep shaking. But I guess to, to explain this, um, let's start from the, from the, from the, um, from, from how would you do it without RID, right? How does it work? So basically what you would do is you write some Rust code, right? And then, uh, and now you want to integrate it with your Dart or Flutter app, right? So now what you have to do, you have to write, uh, functions that can be called from Dart or Flutter. And the way you do this is you write an extra C function and you, you tell it to no mangle, which is an attribute, which basically tells Rust, don't change the name of this function because I'm going to call it from somewhere else. So, so you know, I need to have that name not change. And then what you do is you, you run C bind gen, which is a, which is a library uh, for Rust, which basically looks at all your, your code and it looks for these uh, external C functions, which have a no mangle on it. And it basically pulls us out into a C header file. And it does the same thing for structs. Um, if you, if you put a wrapper C on the struct, it will actually pull out the fields as well and try to represent them in C. If you don't, it will treat them as opaque structs. And we'll probably get into that in a little more detail later. Um, and then basically, so that's, that gives you the header file. And then you run a tool called FFIGen, which the Dart uh, or Flutter team uh, have provided. Um, and basically that looks at that header file, uh, the C header file, and then generates Dart code that can then call functions that are basically uh, spelled out in that, in that C header file, right? And so, so those, fun um, 
So it basically generates some dot that you can then call it, uh, and it loads uh, the dynamic library in um, and, and then basically tries to find whenever you call a function, it tries to look up uh, that function in the binary that you generated via Rust, right? It doesn't even care that it, ha it was Rust, Rust originally. It could have been C or anything, right? Um, so that's how that works. Uh, now the API is not not super easy to use. And again, you still have to write all this by hand, right? Um, and then also what it does is if you were to have a, if you had a struct that then got pulled into the C file as a struct into the C header file, it will actually generate a class with fields and all these things on it. Um, and so that, that's basically what that provides you. And then basically what RID does is it does multiple things. Uh, first of all, it uh, with, with a single attribute on your struct, actually we probably should share screen. I know that in the podcast people will not hear <laughs> or see uh, what, what I'm sharing, but I probably will. Uh, I'll talk along to where it's not necessary to actually see it. Um, but basically, uh, if I look here at, let's say, the the source file here, um, which is over here already, uh, we basically annotate RID model, and, and then it knows to, to uh, basically generate um, generate accessor methods for all these fields. Um, and um, basically what you have to tell RID also is like, you know, for instance, here I have a to-do type, it needs to know that it's a struct, so I can basically tell it this is a struct. And the filter type, for instance, we have a filter type here on that model, is a filter. Uh, sorry, it's an enum, so we have to tell it that. And we can also tell it uh, this derives debug, and then we tell it that please also access, uh, I want to access this debug method from Dart, so I can, so I don't have to implement toString as well, right? Um, and that's pretty much um, all there is to it. Now, what, what happens under the hood is, Actually, RID will generate an opaque, it will treat this as an opaque struct, meaning uh, I don't want Dart to actually generate, uh, or the FFI gen to generate classes for it, because let's just say you wanted to get this model, right? And now I have to instantiate it in order to even just get it. Uh, and, and then if I have to-dos, now that means I have to fetch all the to-dos. And, and that can get expensive because you're crossing the FFI, like the foreign function interface barrier. So what I did instead, I said, well, I'm just going to give you a model, like a pointer. And every time you ask for something, like let's say you ask for the first to-do, that's actually when I go and, and I'll just fetch that. So, so I made it uh, 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 more performant that way, right? Um, and so that's, uh, and I guess now I can stop sharing because that's what I wanted to show there. Um, now that is basically what what RID does on, on on the for the Rust side, right? It generates all the Rust code. It generates actually, you know, <laughs> I'm going to share again because I'm, it becomes clear when I when I just run uh, expand on it. So what you actually can do, you can run in. Um, uh, let me just do it here. In your um, well, I do do that. Uh, see. Um, what you actually can do, you can run cargo expand, and hopefully this will work here. And then it will basically expand all the all the uh, macros uh, and everything that gets kind of generated. Um, and right now we, we're building, uh, and the reason why it's building is because uh, right before this, I, I wanted to run this on iPhone, so I, I built for iPhone. And, and unfortunately, I haven't figured out how to uh, once you compile it for one. Uh, architecture, how to make it, uh, you know, not forget everything that it did for the other architecture. Um, obviously, right now it's also compiling everything that's read, which in the future won't be the case uh, when when it's a proper crate. Um, and I hope we were going to get there. But basically, what what it does, it generates all these external ac uh, access functions, and probably. Uh, and, and yeah, now you can see all the stuff that it generates, right? So what we're seeing here, for instance, for the people listening, we see a function here that has a no mangle, and then it has a pop extra and C, and then it says written message start all, and it takes a model pointer, and then it does all this gnarly code to resolve the model from that pointer, and then it uh, basically calls the, uh, in the end it ends up calling the model update function that uh, the user implemented. So all that gnarly uh, code uh, you know, you don't have to write because RID does that for you, right? Um, so that's so that's that part. And now what it also does is it generates um, the the Dart access methods to it, right? So FFI generally access uh, uh, creates uh, those methods that can call these Rust functions, but it's not a nice API. So what I did is uh, via extension methods, I, I you know made some nicer API to for instance where you can say model dot message add to do instead of having to 
uh, call some weird name function, and uh, and then basically it knows how to, how to basically call that underlying like let's say lower level uh, dot function to make that happen. Um, and so so that's pretty much I think all that that you know the quick rundown of, of what it gives you like gives you really fast integration, gives you a really nice API, and uh, and and to get you going quickly with with uh, with basically both languages. So how does the because I'm 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 pretty familiar with Rust. I'm much better with Flutter, obviously. But uh, in so all the state is actually still being uh, managed by Rust, right? So you have like some kind of piece of memory that's always available. Right. Uh, I'm I'm kind of confused about how this works because I know that once it goes out of scope, that means that Rust will try to clean it up, right? Right. So basically, um, that that's um, the most challenging part of the whole project, uh, doing the, getting this memory management right. Um, so basically, the 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 current version that I have um, of Rich, just to get it started and to see how it could work, assumes everything uh, happens synchronously. So, for instance, in in, in the case of to do, we say add to do. Uh, so you call that from Dart or from Flutter. You say message add to do. It gets added, and you and you put that inside a set state, for instance, and then uh, that will cause after that Rust function was called, it will cause the widgets uh, to be rebuilt. Now. What in the build thing, uh, you know, you 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 then go and say model, give me the latest to dos, right? You 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 don't ever. The idea is you don't hold on to state and flutter, right? So you basically say model dot to dos, and basically the API that I implemented there, and I forgot to mention that, is an iterated API. Even though it's like a vector that you're getting, that's actually a pointer under the hood, and all these things, like you can actually say for to do. In to dos, you can iterate as if it's all all all, all Dart, um, uh, like like you used to, right? You can convert it to a list, you can map over it, all these things. Uh, the idea is though that you never hold on to any state across builds, right? You get it fresh whenever you, whenever your widget is getting built, but every state you you basically uh, need, you get it directly from the model. And that's uh, and and that is that's the easy part, right? Because if the model holds on to the state, uh, Rust still has. Has it right? We don't have to worry about it being uh, cleaned up or anything, right? Uh, so basically, I can just give you a pointer to the model, and then I can resolve everything once you ask for it, right? Or I, I give you a, a pointer to the to-do vector, which which also is held on by, by the main model, right? And then and then you can still iterate over it, but we don't have to worry about cleaning anything up because Rust actually still holds onto it. It's part of that of the singleton model you could think of it, right? Now it gets more complicated if you want to. Um, create new data and 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 not uh, put it on the model, right? So, for instance, we have in the to-do app we have a filter method. So you can say filter all the to-dos, uh, you know, by if they are complete or not. Well, I can return a reference to the to-dos, right? So I don't have to copy the to-do uh, structs, but the vector that holds those filter to-dos, well, that's created, and now that's sent to Dart. Well. Rust would clean that up, like you said. So I have to basically, uh, there are some techniques in Rust where I can say, box it into something and then make Rust forget about it. You can say, uh, forget about it, don't clean it up. So now Dart is the only one that knows about this thing. It basically has a pointer, Rust totally forgot about it, right? And then obviously, uh, every rigid build, when I now get the new vector of filters to do's, uh, if I don't clean that vector up, I would leak vectors. Wouldn't be huge, right? Because it's just a vector. It's not actually the to-dos. It's just the slots, right? But it, it still would be a memory leak. So in that case, um, there has to be a mechanism where every time you get a new, uh, you know, the new vector, you have to make sure to clean up the old one. And 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 the only way to do this is to tell Rust, "Hey, I'm done with it," because Rust has no notion of what you're doing on the Dart side, right? Um, and so that's somewhat of a challenge. And um, and you mentioned, uh, Ellen, that you didn't like that you had to worry about this as user manly, right? And I totally understand, right? I totally I totally get that. And I want to uh, basically see how I can make it more uh, intuitive or maybe how I can, uh, unfortunately Rust doesn't have like an auto dispose kind of thing, like an auto clean up, like if something gets garbage collected, for instance, uh, maybe it could clean up something else with it, right? Uh, you can't actually make Dart do that. Um, but but I'm, I'm I'm going to have to think about some other mechanism to make that easier. Um, but basically, the, the the matter of the fact is that once you send something to Dart, um, and and every time you re-enter Rust from Dart, right, you kind of 
you kind of for a moment lose the guarantees that Rust gives you, right? Uh, for instance, if, if I give you a mutable pointer to the model, which I then can resolve to the mutable model, well, now I could have two mutable models going on, which in, in Rust is, is, is normally not possible, right? Rust protects you from that. So what I'm basically working on right now is um, I'm working on how can I make asynchronous uh, code work properly? Uh, and uh, I basically have a branch on, on, on RID right now that uh, where I'm using mutexs and, and read write locks, or, or either, <laughs> which, whichever will work out better, um, to, to, to kind of, uh, kind of reestablish those guarantees. So every time you basically enter, uh, you know, from, from Dart, I, I basically take a, and you want to read the model, I take a read lock on it. And if, if you want to write to it, I take a write lock on it. And that way I, I get back those guarantees without the user having to worry about it. Uh, but as I mentioned, this is, in my opinion, the most tricky part. And it probably is not only in my project. It's probably in any project where one language gives you guarantees, but you're basically doing some really low-level stuff to integrate two different languages uh, together, right? Yeah, I, I also saw that there is an isolate library. Are you planning on using that? Uh, within Rust, because I know I've seen it and I think I've used it, the isolate library for Rust. Right, I'm it? actually I'm using it uh, in that branch. It's called the ALO or IO uh, isolate, um, A-L-L-O. And it's basically just an implementation of the Dart isolate in Rust. Um, and and what, you can, what I'm using that for is not to create threats or anything, but I'm using that in order to post messages back. So let's say, um, Let's say I say, okay, get me this web page, right? Or like count the lines in this web page. I don't know, whichever, right? Well, the thing is that cannot happen synchronously, right? Because it has to be a web request. Um, and you do definitely don't want to block <laughs> your main thread uh, while the web request is being uh, uh, handled, right? Uh, so now I have to have a way uh, to tell you when that data is there, right? When when it's done. So basically how this works right now in, in, in the branch that I have, you, you, you fetch, you do everything, you can even go in a different thread or whatever, and then you just post back with the same request, like basically when, when Dart, and that all happens under the hood. When you basically send a message, it has a request ID, and then when, when you resolve the, uh, say the web page, you include the request ID with, with the post back, and, and, and you can say also kind of like what happened, like there's an enum uh, of kind of topics of responses. And then you post that back and you say, okay, I'm done with this. And now what you would normally do then is uh, depending on what state management you're using, you would say, now I can rebuild my widgets, at which, at which point it will go to the now updated model and will fetch all the updated data and, and render in a different manner, right? So that's what I use the isolate for. Now, now that you talked about enum a little bit, I am kind of curious because uh, there's, there's, of course, there's enums within Dart and there's enums within Rust, like, is there any kind of easy way to kind of send those across or you probably have to do some kind of translation to do the, to do this between, do you know? Yeah. Enums. Um, so obviously in Dart, the enums don't have, uh, a payload. Uh, that's a, that's actually a proper rust term for this. Uh, but the, the, basically the enum variants in rust can have data associated with it, right? You can put anything in, into an enum. Um, so, so those are actually used for messages, right? So basically when you send a message from Dart, um, there's, you you define the message with a um, with it basically an enum that that has different uh, names uh, or variant names and 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 whatever you want to send along with the message is basically the the data. Um, now basically those when when Dart uh, sends that obviously I can't Dart doesn't have such enum so what I'm actually sending is I'm sending integers to uh, index you know which have the index of the enum and then I send the data separately. And then on the other end, I piece back together that enum, the Rust enum, and call your code uh, as if like Dart called it with with, with a proper Rust enum. Uh, then with uh, with with the post back message, uh, it actually has two parts, right? It has the topic, like for instance, you made a request, so you can say request completed. That's your that's your topic, and then you have the request ID. And what I actually do there is I stuff that all into an int <laughs> because I don't need that many request IDs, nor will I ever have that many variants. And it's actually cheaper to just send one number back uh, instead of sending like a struct. So, so I basically do some bit shifting back and forth uh, to pack it and then to unpack it on the dot side. Um, and that's kind of how I can stuff more information into one int. And that also works for enums in general, right? You can basically uh, represent enums as 
is integers, which basically then are the index uh, of of the of the rare uh, variant of the enum, right? So that's so as long as the enum doesn't have data, that's actually pretty trivial. Oh, and maybe I should then talk also about strings. <laughs> uh, so strings are also a little bit tricky, right? Because the like like ints and all these things like you don't have to even clean up right because they are primitives um but once you send a string uh from rust you actually have to make sure to clean that up but that already i handle really well under the hood because i instantiate the string uh, as a dart string which you have to do anyways because you're getting some utf8 um kind of byte uh, array from rust then i basically convert it into a dart string and immediately after that i call free on that string basically telling Rust, I'm done with the string, you can now collect that. Because again, that string leaves Rust, and now it's basically, right? <laughs> Rust, Rust doesn't care anymore, so I have to tell it, hey, uh, I, wanna, I wanna clean that up. And basically free, all that, or how that works is you just give it the pointer, you, you resolve the pointer to the actual you know, string in this case, and you just uh, let, it, let it drop. <laughs> like, uh, so it leaves, you leave the function, uh, and then uh, the, the string automatically gets cleaned up. Okay, sounds like you really spent quite a bit of time on this. You're, you you know a lot of stuff about this. Yes, there's but, the uh, Monicon or something I, like that. Is there's a really good uh, book about this. We should probably link it. I didn't put the links in, but um, um, that that I read the Rust Nomicon, right? Yeah, and a lot of uh, and a lot of experiments. So one thing I want to say that when I when I early when I started. Uh, you know, I did Flutter, a uh, Flutter app, and then I realized this is way too complicated, and I realized I can just do this in Dart. And then basically now I can I could basically just do something, play with it, uh, and just run it quickly and and have uh, have have see if it works. And what I also did is since uh, it becomes like a, a, an executable, you can just run it with Valgrind, right? Uh, I, I'm not sure if you're if you're familiar with that, but basically I, I ran that and I made sure that I'm not leaking. So so I had like you know I wrote some test script that that did certain things. And then I made sure that I'm not leaking any memory. Um, and obviously, if if you if you do the opposite, like you're trying to free something uh, that you didn't allocate, you 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 kind of crash immediately. So that that I know <laughs> that I'm not doing that. So I wanted to really make sure that I'm not like with the vector, for instance, right? When you clean up the vector, you have to really make sure to clean everything uh, up. The, the tricky part there is that the vector, the Rust vector, is a fat pointer, which includes the uh, not only the start of the vector and the length, but also the capacity. Uh, and you have to properly send that over back and forth uh, to reinstantiate the vector correctly. So yeah, I, I did a lot of investigation experiments and I think I started probably in, uh, I think early February on this project. Um, so it has been a few months, of, uh, lots of nights and weekends <laughs> went into it uh, already, which, which you know why uh, we'll talk about later the the whole sponsorware idea uh, came from. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I'm so curious though. So Valgrind, like you use this because you actually have to use some unsafe Rust because obviously we know that Rust is able to manage memory for you. Right. But just you know you need to use this because you have to use some unsafe, right? Okay. Right. Unfortunately, so Rust. Yeah. Rust, you know, uh, if you don't use any unsafe features, you're by definition safe. <laughs> um, but fortunately, Rust gives you for these special cases like this kind of library, uh, the, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to, to say, oh, this is unsafe, I know what I'm doing. Uh, usually you put a, a safe uh, uh, in there and, and kind of say like, this is safe because X. Uh, and you, yeah, you have to really think hard of, about what you're doing uh, when, you, when you write unsafe code. Okay, so so Valgrind, I know Valgrind is obviously for like C, C++, so it's actually, you can use it across whatever, as long as you can compile to binary, right? Yeah, so you yeah. can even use it on Flutter apps with Dart, right? Uh, I have not used it on Flutter apps, but I have to use it on Dart because Dart, you can actually tell it to compile. So it will compile it and and then and now we can run and obviously I wrote a script that automates all that that compiles it and runs Valgrind on it, uh, you know, grabs out the important sections and and I could immediately see if I had a memory leak or not. And that's basically how I how I hardened these libraries, uh, the, specifically the vector implementation, uh, made sure that I'm not leaking anything, nor am I crashing because I'm I'm accessing uh, freed memory or something like that. Because you, I mean, that's like the worst, right? I mean, that would kill you know anyone using read immediately if you, you know, you, you you write your Flutter up with this and you deploy it and 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 the app just crashes and and it would crash pretty mysteriously because 
it's crashing somewhere in where is in Rust, but where is the mistake now, right? Is it in Dart or, or whatever? So, so I, I really made sure that this is solid, right? Uh, and I, and I'm going to keep making sure that the whole memory story is is solid. Yeah, that's good. I, I sorry, I do want to go back to one more thing because I know that with Rust and Dart FFI, right? They can actually connect directly. Um, so. I'm curious if you've ever tried, even tried to run the app on web. I mean, I guess it would just fail immediately, you know, like, and, and also, uh, do you know if they're going to try to have like a WASM support? Because it seems like every platform but web has Dart FFI, right? So it just seems to me that Dart FFI at minimum should at least connect to JavaScript. Do you know anything about what's going on with the web space with this kind of thing? So so basically what I have in, in, in the generated code is it looks at the platform um, Right, if you're on Linux, Mac, iOS, uh, whichever, and it loads uh, the library differently. <laughs> right, um, I can actually um, let me let me just look at that code because that's uh, uh, generated here. Let's see. Um, maybe I share. Uh, are people? Is it important to share my screen or is it is it not at all? Yeah, I mean, whoever, you can feel free to share it so whoever looks Right. So here, for instance, I have, it says, uh, you know, open the library. And then if it's Linux, uh, you know, I call dynamic library .open, um, and it's an SO file. Um, but on macOS, on iOS, it says dynamic library .executable. So it's different how these libraries get loaded. And, and even like the, uh, the type of the library, um, if it's a dynamic or a static library, is different uh, for the platform. Now, for Warsum, you'd have to do something different. So right now, um, I don't have anything in place for that. Um, but but as I said, if you just would compile uh, Rust to Warsum, and then you put basically a JavaScript shim on top of it that knows how to call into Warsum, right? And then basically you call that um, from Dart, right? Something like that. Something along those lines, I'm thinking. Uh, but I haven't, honestly, I haven't investigated that a lot yet. Um, but at the same time, uh, I'm committed to make RID work on every platform that Flutter supports, right? I mean, otherwise, yeah, it doesn't have as much of a point um, in the end. But uh, right now, I have like a lot of other other things I want to look into. Um, so, so it's kind of on the... Uh, I actually have a roadmap on my website, and it, I think it's the third item on the roadmap or something like that. People actually ask. Well, I did about. take a look to see. Yeah, I'm seeing, and and I just did a quick check while you were talking, and I did see that people are asking. Oh, hey, I can't use FFI. They said there is a, a package, JS package, you can import. So I would suppose that you can probably somehow generate whatever you need and just depend on this JS package for web. Um, well, I mean, the other thing is, if I had like, we don't want to talk about that uh, later. If I had enough sponsorship and could dedicate way more time to this, I could just implement whatever I need. The thing is that. Um, I, I, I am fortunately, since I have worked with all these technologies, I'm in a really good place to to try to, to make this work, whichever whichever it takes, right? Whichever needs to be implemented, I'm pretty confident uh, that, I, that I could make it uh, happen if, if it's not there yet, right? Or, or help with every project. Uh, um, you know, there might be a project that, like you mentioned, that may, may not be complete yet or, or whatever, and I could help there. Um, so, so definitely, I, I, eventually, I want to make make it work like that. Does your employer know that you're working on this, or this is no, just, no? This is all you know, they're, they're not saying anything. This is all nights and weekends, <laughs> um, which, uh, yeah, which is is. I mean, you have to have a lot of passion for something to 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 dedicate that much time for it. Um, usually, what I have been doing this over for years now that whenever I have a job that is in some technology, I usually find another technology <laughs> to spend my. Uh, my free time in, in, in hobby projects. Uh, and, and then a lot of times actually that then would become my next job. <laughs> um, so that's how it works sometimes. Well, the reason I asked is because we, we had another guy on here who was like you, he was very deeply into Flutter on his, or at least he was deep into Flutter on his side, you know, deep in another tech. And he was doing something else for work and then he got GDE and then uh, the boss kind of said, okay, you know, maybe this has got something to it. And then they started to introduce it into the company. Uh, interesting. So I was curious if there's anything like that where they, they see, oh, this guy's really into these things. Let's take a look at it. Maybe it's actually worth it. Right. I mean, I, I have I ha like, I have some ideas. Uh, I mean, ideally, um, Google would help me out a little bit, right? Because in a way I'm helping uh, their... Um, their technology become uh, more popular, more more 
more uh, you know uh, more usable in, in, in a wider uh, range of scenarios. Um, but 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 we'll see. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to write a few emails uh, and, and see what happens. Um, but right now I'm I'm um, and maybe we could just segue real quick into the sponsor where uh, uh, idea that I have. Um, basically, what I was I'm just gonna mention that 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 we should talk about that. And I also kind of kind of find it funny that you took talk over here that you grew up in a communist and with communism around you, right? Okay, so, so let's start with the communists then and, and, and segue into the sponsor. Right? So, um, so I grew up, yes, I grew up in East Germany, um, where, um, you know, and, and, and I was, I was still a, a kid almost, uh, once the wall came down, but I still, um, I still basically, uh, you know, I don't regret it because I got to view, uh, two kind of, uh, systems of society that are totally opposed to each other, uh, capitalism and well, not totally opposed. I wouldn't say that either, but capitalism and socialism. And, and I can see the, the value or like you could say communism, but I mean, they're kind of really, uh, the lines kind of blur. Um, but basically, I got to see that, uh, you know, some values that we have in capitalism are, are maybe not the best, which is, uh, you know, it's all about money and, uh, and, you know, kind of like, uh, greediness and things like that. And, and, uh, where, when I, when I, uh, you know, back then in, in, in socialism or whatever, the, since the money wasn't worth that much, you couldn't just buy everything. For instance, you have to wait uh, for a car. You'd have to wait like 12 years or something to even buy, even if you had the money, it was just not available unless you were with the, with the party, uh, whatever. Right. Uh, but basically, you know, the, the values kind of were different. People were not that crazy about money. They helped each other more, I would say. And so I got to see that. And, and I kind of, um, and I kind of see that where, uh, nowadays where people are trying to do open source and, and all these things and where they're really dedicating, uh, time to it. And they're, they're doing it out of, uh, you know, passion and, and, and trying to help other people. And, and, uh, then they basically have to fight to even survive. Right. And, and, you know, and, uh, invest also a lot of emotional, uh, uh, you know, uh, emotions into it and, and have to deal with people that are demanding they fix something when, when, I mean, they're just doing this on their weekends. Right. And, and they kind of complain like, why doesn't this work? Why isn't this fixed yet? Well, yeah, because you know, no one's paying me for this. So, um, I listened basically to a podcast, um, I can't remember which one it was, but where, uh, some guy that, that did a PHP project, um, um, that became really popular. He basically just published a tweet, um, saying, look, I got this working and I'm going to publish this. If I get X amount of sponsors, I'm going to make it public. And for him, it worked much better than for me. <laughs> he just basically, I think overnight got the amount of sponsors that needed or in, in really a few days. And, and in my opinion, that's like the only way. Uh, to make open source uh, software like project like this sustainable, right? Let, let, let's just say like I publish a right now um, and I make it available to everyone. Uh, and let's just say it was further along, people start using it, right? And they start depending on it. But now uh, maybe uh, I have no time now, like because maybe I have other things, uh, you know, for work that demand my time or maybe, um, maybe I just choose to not, um, you know, work, uh, on the project anymore, because maybe, uh, you know, I have other important things in life. And, and basically, I, I, since I don't get any money for it, I can't say, Okay, well, let me do this doing as my day job or something, right. And, and, and let me enjoy the day after like, you know, the nights or whatever. Um, so th that would, in my opinion, that's almost a little bit irresponsible, right, because I'm, I would be releasing a library, people would start kind of depending on it, and they would start investing their time in it. And, and I can't even guarantee really that I can maintain it or that I can keep evolving it because I have no monetary support. Right. So in my opinion, it's actually more honest to say, well, you know what, I'm going to need at least X amount of financial support in order to make this feasible where maybe I can either work less or I can justify at least spending all this time. Or maybe, you know, if it's even enough, I could even say, okay, I'm, I make this my day job now. Right. Um, and that's kind of like the sponsorware approach. Like, and, and I would almost call it like sponsorware to make us, you know, to make open source projects sustainable. That's the whole idea to make it sustainable and to make it, to have some responsibility about them. Right. And, and the other uh, thing that I'm thinking is that if I like basically in my case, uh, I I'm, I'm saying that if I get to 60 sponsors, I will open source it. Right. 
I will open source Red and make it available to everyone. Everyone can use it. And I feel then confident that I can keep evolving it. I can keep addressing issues. I can maintain it, all these things, right? Everyone who sponsors me, like I say, today gets immediate access, right, uh, to Red. They can, they can start using it, playing with it immediately. Um, but basically, once I reach 60, I feel confident, okay, this is, this is enough now. I, I, I can publish it. The other... Um, you know, kind of benefit for this is to say uh, early on if a project is even interesting to the community, right? Because people might, might go on Reddit, they like it, they like the video, uh, they think this is awesome, uh, but only once people are actually willing to also invest, <laughs> in this case, money into an idea and, and help me out financially, that's when they really show that this is really something that we want. Uh, please keep doing this. I'm going to give you, I mean, it's not even that much, right? The the minimum you can um, sponsor me with is, is $10 per month, right? I mean, some people spend that uh, in two days on coffee or something, right? Um, so I, I feel like this is actually, uh, n you know, not not too much to ask. And, and, and my logic also is if I don't get to 60 sponsors, well, maybe then I should start doing something else because it seems like the community is not really that invested in it, right? But obviously right now I'm working on it still uh, day and night. And uh, the idea is to every time I reach some milestone and I can uh, implement another uh, example app with it, I'm going to make a video. I'm going to, you know, uh, put it on Reddit and hopefully get more sponsors that way. Right now I have 11 out of 60. So <laughs> I'm slowly getting there, uh, but I'm still uh, somewhat far away. Um, which also brings me to a little bit how, how I'm developing Red. So basically what I'm doing is I'm just taking an example app, right? In this case, in the first case, I did a to-do app. And then I basically just implemented, first I write all the raw code by hand, right? I like, right, what, what would I have to implement to make this work? And then piece by piece, I basically make Red generate all the boilerplate. And that's basically what I'm doing now for the async app. The simplest example I could think of was to write a clock that you can just start and stop, like or like a stopwatch or something. And because there has to be a thread that is ticking, right? So now there's asynchronicity there uh, that updates the model. And so that's kind of how I'm driving uh, how I'm driving these these uh, uh, these features, right? And the next uh, bigger project that or the example app that I want to probably show is uh, I want to use the block pattern um, uh, for the to-do app to, to, you know, to show that this is actually possible and how it could work. And then probably like a Reddit ticker or something like that, that also requires asynchronous requests and, and, and to show how this could work together. Okay. It sounds like you have big plans for this and, and, you know, I, and I totally understand what you're talking about. I think I know which podcast you listen to because I do remember hearing this. It's, I think it's for Livewire uh, and yes. Uh, yes. the same guy who did AlpineJS. Yeah. I think it was mm -hmm. Changelog. I can't remember which podcast it was, but yeah, it, it, I, I definitely know what you're talking about. Several, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm quite familiar with this because uh, I work a lot with Elixir and LiveView is definitely something that LiveWire and LiveView are very similar um, and actually a little bit work together too. Um, any, anyways, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, I think we can keep going on and on and on, right? Because you and I are pretty, pretty passionate about mixing Flutter and Rust together. Right. Um, I think it might be better if we if we schedule another episode to go deeper, uh, right. and maybe and also kind of see where, where you're going and, and if your sponsorship is ticking up. Um, I want to start to to kind of wind down this podcast so we don't go too long. Uh, but is there anything else you wanted to mention before we move on to our closing questions? Well, I mean, one thing I wanted to mention is. Um... We haven't talked about like uh, my, my lifestyle, which is a, a very nomadic lifestyle. Uh, I basically live, uh, technically I live in Cheyenne, Wyoming, but practically I'm, I'm more than not in South America. Um, and actually I was recently in, in Cali, Colombia. And and uh, I want to kind of give a shout out here because I, I basically just a few weeks after I left, um, some protests basically uh, started happening in Colombia because the government, which already is very favorable to the rich, wanted to take even more from the poor. <laughs> and uh, so protests broke out. And I feel like the world is not aware. So I'm, I, I know this is not a political podcast, but I kind of want to uh, just to give a shout out that like, the world is not aware of what's happening there. People are basically getting killed by the police or by um, by paramilitary people, like civilians that are supported by the police. Uh, the, the government brought in the military. So uh, I want to give out the shout, shout uh, to... All the people there, all my friends are in Colombia. Uh, the people in the Primera Linea, uh, stay strong, resistencia, duque chao. 
I just wanted to take that. And, and the world is blissfully unaware. Probably you don't know what I was just talking about with, with the last few words there because uh, the world just doesn't know. And I want to help do my little bit to make, make people aware that this is going on for uh, pretty much a month at this point. Yeah, I, I did hear a little bit about it, but I'm, I'm not super familiar with it. I've been, I'm in Hong Kong, so we have stuff going on over here, right? So I'm quite familiar with that. And uh, it's, I also have a client who's in Israel, so I hear a lot about that too. It just seems like everywhere around me there's something going on, and that's, mm -hmm. I, you know, I really hope that we can try to, try to have more peace everywhere. Um, it's totally fine. I understand. I don't want to say anything because, yeah, you know, over here is not not the best so uh, right. it's getting better understand. <laughs> um yeah so if there's nothing else then i think i have a couple of questions that you've seen at the end of the document which i always try to ask because everybody has a little bit different reply mm -hmm. um how do you feel about state management and flutter right why do you feel it's so complicated and what kind of state management do you like to use well yeah i i have thought about that question i think I have some sort of feeling, but I, obviously I'm not part of the Flutter team, so I don't know for sure. But I feel it. Mm, the the whole UI story was 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 thought out very well, and 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 initially like you know it was very much the focus. And I feel maybe the whole state manager story uh, wasn't considered early on, and and that why it, you know it kind of seems bolted on a little bit, like with. Um, Kind of getting, uh, you know, kind of reaching up into the widget tree and and things like that that make it really complex. And um, and so obviously, like you could just use test state, um, and and uh, but that's not a, a maintainable solution for larger applications. Um, and uh, I think there was also some sort of confusion because then Google went out and they suggested one way of doing things, and then actually an easier uh, pattern came out, the provider pattern, I think, uh, that that people started using. So. Um, for instance, the block pattern that, that Google recommended with everything being a stream and so on, that, that did make sense in some sense, uh, but having to implement one block per stream or whatever they recommended, it's just way too much boilerplate in my opinion. Um, so what I did for, for the apps that I did uh, create um, was I used some sort of a, <laughs> let's say, a, a, a kind of block pattern, uh, but, but I did not, and that's probably also some mistake that especially beginners make, if someone says X, they do it exactly by the letter, and and they they don't have the experience that to say, uh, well that doesn't actually make sense here. Maybe I could make my life a lot easier if I would just do it a little different. And that's basically what I did. I, I did block, but someone did different. I did not use the the block library um, that that kind of you know generates a bunch of code for you and and, and things like that. I did also not necessarily adhere always to the f uh, thing of having to have um, state. Uh, that is uh, non-mutable that you have to send around. Uh, there's also performance implication there, right? Because if every time, it depends on how, how often the state changes, but if every time you create a class and you send that around and then, uh, or like an object, right? And then it gets collected by the garbage collector that could uh, affect your performance. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like it's a little unfortunate that there is no clear story. There are just more and more libraries coming out. Um, uh, I can't remember, I think there was a river pod, um, and some others, and I'm actually going. To, uh, I looked into those uh, in order to see, like, how can I make, um, you know, how can I integrate this with what I'm doing? And for Red specifically, I mean, the state management is actually fairly simple, right? Because all the state is in Rust, um, and all you basically have to do is uh, send messages somehow, and then basically when you render the widget uh, tree, you just you just pull the state directly from Rust. And I want to kind of, as I said, I want to kind of, uh, you know, show how you how that could integrate with the block pattern as well. But um, in this case, it's kind of, I would say that Red is probably more more similar to Redux, even though in some ways I don't like Redux that much. Uh, but you could think of the dispatch of sending the message and then uh, you just, but there's no, but the state gets mutated. So there's no such thing as uh, get, getting state in and then getting a, a new state out and stuff. So it's a little different, but you could think of a, a little bit of Redux where you have one store. Um, actually in the new branch, I renamed it to store. Um, the, the main state, um, and, and, and then you get all the state from there, right? Okay. Um, I think, do you have any tips or warnings for beginners? Yeah, I actually uh, have some uh, answers that I thought about. And actually, tips and, and warnings are kind of like going hand in hand, right? So what I would, would, would uh, if you're just starting out with, with Flutter, and, and especially if you probably maybe have not programmed that much, 
uh, before, just take like an existing app. I mean, uh, Flutter when you when you when you uh, create a project, it comes with the two, uh, counter app, uh, and I think there are other templates as well. And just like change things in there, <laughs> and you can just play around with it so quickly because you can just refresh, uh, like hot reload, and you can see how it behaves differently. Um, also, what I would say is, since we just talked about state management, like don't worry too much about state management at, at first. Just like just to play with it, just use set state, even though. Obviously, it is not a, a viable solution for larger apps, but in order to just like play around with the use state, and you can always uh, rip it out later, uh, you know, if, if your app grows or whatever. Um, and then, and then the other thing that I haven't seen people do is when you're basically running into a problem, and it's actually not a Flutter problem. Like you, maybe you're not understanding how Dart works correctly. You don't have to like test it out in Flutter. You can just you know uh, create a folder and just put a Dart file in it. Like you just call it dot Dart. And you just run it. You just say Dart, and then food or Dart, whichever uh, you files, and you can you know iterate much faster with it, and you can debug it, and you can can try things out that way that are not related to Flutter. Um, and then some warnings here. Um, um, you know, don't try to do everything the absolute correct way, like everyone says in the beginning, because you're making actually just like you just want to have fun, right? As, as, you know, most people probably that start with Flutter doing this as a kind of a hobby project. So you just want to hack something together, just like, don't get bogged down, like, you know, choosing like a proven architecture, like now you have to learn Riverpod or whichever is the architecture of the day. And now everything gets way more complex and you actually you probably lose motivation uh, quickly. So uh, you can you can worry about all those things after you kind of got your feet wet with, uh, with Flutter in general. That would be my advice. Yeah, actually, I am. I do have one last question. So somebody asked a question about: um, Is it is Rust performance wise better than uh, better than when you combine it with Dart? So I I don't. I mean, to me, it's probably about the same. But I I this reminded me of another question or another thing I heard is that the Flutter team actually stopped uh, doing a lot of kind of switching between Dart and Flutter, or sorry, Dart and uh, C. They try to isolate as much as possible because serializing and deserializing between the two really becomes quite a bottleneck. So, did, did you? I guess you probably find something similar, right? Well, well. So, well, one thing to say is FFI, like the foreign function interface, is much faster than even the channels, right? Because you don't actually deserialize serialize things, uh, or like at least not not the same way. Like basically, you you have direct access to memory, right? And um, and so basically, when you uh, when you get a struct, well, and, and then you instantiate a class from it, yes, that's performance overhead, right? Because now you know you have to fetch all these things from memory and you, and you put it in a different uh, format and, and, and that's what yeah, we call serialization. But that's not necessarily uh, how you have to do FFI. Like I mentioned in RID, actually, I'm not doing that. I'm actually just sending you an opaque struct, which is just basically a pointer. And every time you ask me for a property on, on that struct, I, I then just fetch that one property. So, for instance, let's say you have a you have to dos and you have title and descriptions, right? And now you you display a list of them. Well, you only need the title. Why would I even send the descriptions, right? You you don't need them. So so basically that's why I decided to to do it that way. So the performance there um, is pretty good. That said, obviously every time you cross a boundary and and you have to you know convert some some Rust string to a dot string or whatever that has performance over it. And it was actually when I did performance tests early on, I was actually pretty amazed how fast Dart is. Like, uh, you know, iterating like millions of items was like milliseconds. Um, and then with 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 uh, crossing the FFI boundary, it was still milliseconds, but maybe it was actually five times slower. But I mean, putting that in perspective with the rendering, right, that's nothing. Like, I mean, maybe from like, let's say 20 milliseconds to 100, but that's nothing compared to I mean, iterating a million items, right? <laughs> that's what we're talking about here. Uh, but I mean, your list might be like 100 items and to build the widget tree and to render it all out, that's like way more time spent than 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 those 100 milliseconds. Uh, well, in, 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 you know, if you have 100 items, it would be much less. Um, so, so I wouldn't, uh, you know, I, I don't think that would be a bottleneck in Flutter apps. I think actually probably the rendering takes more time, uh, you know, comparatively. Okay. I don't think I have any more questions. I think we, we kind of went through everything I think is important. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say before we kind of sign off? Um, just like if you like it, um, watch the screencast that I, that I put up there. Uh, see if you if that is interesting to you. Um, obviously, as I mentioned, uh, if, if you feel like, uh, you know, this is 
interesting enough that you want to help me out, uh, please sponsor me um, with a monthly donation on GitHub uh, so I can, you know, put more and more time into it. And uh, yeah, just enjoy and just, uh, you know, build some some fun apps. Okay, with that, I, I really thank you for your time. I really want you to come back. I especially want to hear what's the progress and hopefully you can get you to your 60 sponsors because I think I can see potential, right? It's still rough as we talked about before we started the show. But I think it definitely has potential and, and you're very passionate about it. So I can see this really uh, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get to talk actually about the uh, the, the parts that, that, that were difficult too much, um, but I'm definitely going to work on ironing those out to make it less less rough, to make it uh, much easier to use. Um, so, yeah, and, and yeah, and th at that point, it would make sense to talk about what I, what I find out. So I'm happy to come back. Okay. Uh you're welcome anytime, right? So you have the scheduling link. So if you if you're ready to come back on and talk about things, you can definitely schedule a session with me. So I'm looking forward to that. Okay, and with that, uh, thank you again for coming on. And uh, yeah, hopefully you come back again soon. Okay, thank you.